point of view. Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Communion Sunday, April 7th, 2013. The message for this morning is Be Alive by Pastor Ryan Cochran, based on 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come now around your word together or to hear from you. So God, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, Lord, to what you have to say to us today. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. May the Lord be with you. So Monday this past week was an important day in my life. Uh, It was my daughter's birthday, uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. On Monday was opening day of baseball season. Opening day is one of my favorite days of the entire year. Uh, Here in Canada, there aren't a whole lot of baseball fans, and so I kind of celebrate this day in secret. I kind of have a party in my head all day long, and I enjoy opening day of baseball season. And this past Monday, I was at the park with my family downtown, and I was talking with another dad there at the park. His name was Dan, and he asked me a question that no Canadian has ever asked me. Out of nowhere, he said, are you excited about opening day? I'm so excited about this. And so I said, yes, I'm so excited. And we went on and on to talk about how excited we are about the season. I found out later that he was an American. (laughs) But still, it was a very exciting moment for me in that moment here in Canada to have a little party with someone else about opening day. This week I've been thinking about baseball as baseball has started this year. And I was remembering this past week about one of my Little League coaches. His name was Ron Swearingen. Ron Swearingen was his name. He was one of the best coaches that I ever had. And one of the things that he would always yell out to us as a team was, be alive, be alive. I can still hear him. I'm playing third base and I can hear him. All right, angels, be alive, be alive. All right, angels, be alive, be alive, be alive. Coach Ron would always say to us that he would never get mad at us if we made a physical mistake. He said, but I'm going to get really mad at you if you make a mental mistake. In other words, he wanted us to be sure that we were always aware of what was happening in the game, always aware of how many outs there were, always ready to do whatever we needed to do if the ball was hit to us, that we would be prepared and ready. In baseball, you're always going to mess up at some point. You're always going to make an error. You're going to make a bad throw. You're going to let a ball get through your legs. But he always said, if that happens, it's okay. But I want you to be aware. I don't want you to make any mental mistakes. And as I grew older and uh, played at higher levels of baseball, I made all kinds of physical mistakes. But very rarely did I make a mental mistake. And it was because of Coach Ron. Coach Ron taught me to be alive, to always be aware of what's going on in the game, to be ready. Coach Ron taught me to be alive on the baseball field. This morning, I'm beginning a sermon series entitled, Be Alive. 
So you have Coach Ron to thank for the title of this sermon. Of course, we aren't going to be talking about baseball, although I may have some baseball analogies along the way. We're not going to be talking about baseball, but over the course of this sermon series, I want to look at some of the very practical areas of our life and how we can live our lives in the truth and in the power of the resurrection. Jesus is saying to us, be alive. Be alive. Be alive. You and I, because of our faith in Christ, because of our faith in the death and resurrection, each of us have been made alive in Christ. I want to begin this morning by looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I would encourage you to grab your Bibles. Uh, We are going to be looking at a few different places today, and it will be helpful to you if you're able to read along. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The book of Ephesians and most of the Bible, all of the Bible, tells us that because of our sin, we were dead. But through faith, we have been made alive with Christ and have been raised from the dead with him. Being alive in Christ is not something that will only happen sometime in the future after we die and go to heaven. The resurrection of Christ is not only about life after death. The resurrection is true now for us. Ephesians tells us that now we have been made alive with Christ. It has already happened. We have already been made alive with him. I want to show you over the next few weeks what this being made alive means for us, the very practical implications of the resurrection on our day-to-day lives. In our lives, Jesus is saying to us, be alive. And of course, he's not only saying to that us like a coach who's on the sidelines, but he is with us. It is through him and because of him that we are alive. It is by his power that we have been made alive. And it is as we live our lives in him that we can be alive. And so this week I'm going to give you a bit of an overview of where we're going to be going over the next four or five weeks in this sermon series. We're going to be looking at very specific areas of our life to see how Jesus brings us back to life in these areas. So I'm not sure what order we're going to do these in, but one week we're going to look at how Jesus brings our job back to life. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, then your job, no matter what it is, is not just a job. Jesus is there. Jesus is present with you, and he wants to bring the power of his resurrection into the job that you do. Another week, we're going to look at how Jesus brings our friendships back to life. Friendships are such an important part of all of our lives. The risen Christ wants to be at the center of all of your friendships. He wants to make your friendships filled with purpose and with life, and we're going to see how Jesus brings our friendships back to life. Another week, we're going to look at how Jesus brings our homes back to life. Our family life, the life in our homes where we spend the majority of our time, Jesus wants to be at the very center of that place. He wants to bring life to that place. He wants the relationships in that place to be centered on him. We're going to see how Jesus brings our homes back to life. And we're also going to look at how Jesus brings our neighborhoods back to life. Each of us live in some kind of neighborhood. Jesus is active there. He is alive there. He is moving there. Maybe in ways and in places that we don't expect, in ways that we do not see, but Jesus wants to bring our neighborhoods back to life. And he has a role for us to play in that. So we're going to be looking at our jobs, our friendships, our homes, and our neighborhoods and how Jesus is alive there and wants to bring those places and those relationships to real life. Last week we celebrated Easter, and we remembered and celebrated this historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that after his crucifixion on the cross, that he was placed into the tomb, and on Easter morning he was raised from the dead. That tomb was and is empty. Amen? Because the tomb is empty, we do not need to fear death. That was one of the things that I talked about last week. Because of Easter, we do not need to fear death. According to Paul, because of Easter, our resurrected life is just as certain as our physical death. For Paul, he was just as certain that that resurrected life was coming for him as he was certain that he was going to die someday. Because of Easter, we do not need to fear death. What I want to show us over the next four weeks is that this resurrection, while it does give us hope and confidence in our future after death, that resurrection also gives meaning to our life in the present. As we go about our day-to-day lives, the truth and the power of the resurrection is with us now. Our scripture that was read today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is an incredible chapter. It is Paul's reason for why the resurrection is so important. As he reflected deeply on the resurrection and all of what it meant for the Christian, he wrote this entire chapter all about the resurrection. And if you've ever tried to read it, you've probably found that it's far beyond your ability to fully comprehend and to understand. It is a deep and rich chapter. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus and about our resurrection. About how God, in his great work of resurrection, has transformed death into life, has transformed what is corruptible and fading into what is incorruptible and what will never fade. How God, in his power, has transformed defeat on the cross into victory. That God has defeated our greatest enemy, death. 
And because it's all about resurrection and about this life that we will experience after death, you would think that at the very end of this chapter, after 60 verses of Paul talking about this thing called the resurrection, this experience that Christ had after his death and the experience that we will have after our death, you would think that Paul would close the entire chapter with, and it's going to be so great when we get there. It's going to be amazing when we get there. But that is not how Paul ends this chapter. How Paul ends this chapter is this way. After all of this talk about the resurrection, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul finishes this whole section on the resurrection by saying, your work right now in the world is not being done in vain. The work that you do in your life has meaning and purpose because of the resurrection. The relationships that you have and cultivate in your life, they have eternal value because of the resurrection. Paul's reflection on the resurrection moves him to reflect on our life now in the present world. Throughout the chapter, he celebrates the incredible future that we have because of the resurrection, but he does not stay in that future tense. Instead, he moves to the present. Because of the resurrection, your work now is not pointless. It has meaning, according to Paul. It has eternal value, according to Paul. And very interestingly, in the very next section, he begins to talk about a collection that he is taking for the people in Galatia. Now about this collection for God's people. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And now make sure you have the cash ready for me when I get there, because I'm coming for it. Reflection on resurrection leads Paul to the very practical, this-worldly life of faithfulness. The resurrection gives each day and each action meaning and purpose. So throughout this sermon series, I'm going to have the same four points in every single sermon. Okay, so by the end of this, you should have it down pat. Okay? The same four points in every single sermon. As we look at our jobs, our friendships, our homes, and our neighborhoods, I'm going to have four points about how the resurrection of Christ, the truth and power of the resurrection, comes to bear on each of those areas. These are the four points that I'm going to make over the next few weeks. First, to live in the power and truth of the resurrection means these four things. First, that we are a people who have died to ourselves. Second, that we are a people who are open to God. Third, that we are a people of joy. And fourth, that we are a people of mission. Those are the four points over the next four weeks that I'm going to make. We are a people who have died. We are a people who are open to God. We are a people of joy. And we are a people of mission. And today I just want to kind of lay the groundwork for us as we think about these four things. First, we are a people who have died. In order to be raised to life, we have to die, right? 
In order to be raised to life, we have to die. In order to experience resurrection in our life, we have to die. If we are going to experience the truth and power of the resurrection in our day-to-day lives, we must die to ourselves and to the world. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, he frequently talked about how following him means some kind of death. At one point, Jesus says, if anyone wants to save his life, he will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At another point, he talked about how a seed that falls to the ground. If that seed is going to bear fruit, then it has to go into the ground and die. That is, it has to stop becoming a seed so that it can become something else. He talks about that as a principle for the spiritual life. If we are going to produce fruit, then in some way we must die. At another time, he said that anyone who wants to follow him must take up their cross and follow him. In other words, must be willing to suffer and to die in order to follow him. The Apostle Paul in his letters has a deep understanding of what it means to die to ourselves so that we can be made alive in Christ. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about all of the merits that he has in the world's eyes. Paul was an amazing Pharisee. He was a righteous man. He came from the right family in Judaism. And he talks about all of these things. And what does Paul say about them? They're rubbish. They're trash. They're dung, very literally. Paul dies to his old life so that he can experience new life in Christ. If we are going to experience resurrection, we have to die to ourselves into this world. And throughout the next few weeks, as we look at our job and our friendships in our neighborhoods and our home, we're going to see how in each of those ways we must die to ourselves and to the world. So I just want to give you a few examples of what I mean by this. If you are going to be alive in your friendships, if you're going to experience resurrection in your friendships with others, then you need to realize that that friendship isn't about you. That friendship isn't about you and your happiness. Your friendship is not about you. That friendship is about Jesus and your attitude of friendship should be to serve the other. If you're going to be alive in your job, you need to see that your job is not about you. It's not about making money. It's not about making a living. Your job is not for you. Your job is for Christ, and your role in that job is to serve Christ and to serve others. Our home. Our home. I think this is going to be a tough one for a lot of us to hear. Your home is not about you, and it's not for you. It belongs to Christ, and it is to be used to serve Christ. We so often see our home as this private retreat, this refuge, this sanctuary away from the world. And it is that, but it's not first that. 
if we're going to experience the power of the resurrection in our life, whether we need to die to this idea that our homes are for us. Instead, to see that our homes belong to Christ and his purposes and to begin to see our homes as the central place in our life for developing a life of participating with Christ in his mission in the world. And we need to die to ourselves for the sake of our neighborhoods. Acts chapter 17 says that God has determined the times and the places set for each person to live. Have you ever thought about that? Acts chapter 17, that God has determined the times and the places set for each person to live. You're not in your neighborhood by accident. Your neighborhood may be the block that you live on. It may be the apartment complex that you live in. It may be the senior's home that you're in. God has placed you there. And we are called, as we are followers of Christ, to sacrifice ourselves to die for the sake of that place that we live in, just as Christ died for the world that we live in. So each week, as we look at these various areas of our life, our friendships, our jobs, our home, and our neighborhood, in each area, we are going to reflect on how we are called to die to ourselves in those places so that we can experience Christ alive in us in each of those places. Does that make sense? Yes. My second point throughout this sermon series is going to be that because of the resurrection, that we are a people who are open to God. We are a people who are open to God. If we're going to be alive, if we're going to live according to the truth and power of the resurrection, then we are going to be a people who are open to God, people who live our lives in response to God and to his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our definition of death needs not be only physical death. In fact, that's not the kind of death that God first considers our death. The first definition of death, according to God, is unresponsiveness to God. If you think about the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, God said to Adam and Eve that if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they will die. And Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And when they ate the fruit, they died. In that moment, they died because at that moment, they were unresponsive to God and to his word. God's primary definition of death is not that our hearts stop beating. It's not that we stop breathing. God's definition of death is that we are unresponsive to him. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As people who have died with Christ and have been raised with him, we are invited to live our lives in relationship with him. In relationship with him is this phrase that we use all the time in evangelical circles. And what I want to say to you about what that means is that we are called to live in response to him, to be open to God and to listen to his call on our lives each day. God, today, how do you want me to enter into this friendship, into this job, into this home, into this neighborhood? We live our lives in relationship, in response to the call of God in our lives. As people of the resurrection, we will be a people who are open 
to God, people who respond to him. The third point in each of these sermons is that we are to be a people of joy. Joy is the characteristic of a life lived in the power of the resurrection. I think most of you know that the word joy is more than happiness. It's more than being glad. It's more than simply living our life with a smile on our face. Joy is a deep sense of well-being, a deep sense of peace that comes from God and from our relationship with him. When we are secure and confident in our relationship with God, we can enter into our jobs, in our friendships, in our homes, in our relationships with a constant and persistent joy. In all of those places, there is the potential to experience suffering. In all of those places, we will be disappointed by our friends, by our co-workers, by our family members, by our neighbors. In some of those places, we could even experience persecution or real suffering because of our faith. But if we are living our lives in response to God, who rose Jesus from the dead and who raised us from the dead, we will not lose joy. The book of Hebrews says that it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. To live in the power of the resurrection is to live for the joy that is set before us. And so we enter into these very various areas of our lives and into these various relationships because of our confidence in the resurrection and the joy that it brings. The fourth point that I will make in each of these sermons is that we are to be a people of mission. The resurrection sends us into the world to proclaim the message of the resurrection and to participate in God's mission in the world. In Jesus' very first appearance to his disciples, the disciples were in the upper room, they had all of the doors locked, and they were in there and they were scared. They were frightened for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus, in that moment, he comes and he appears to them, and he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. All of life is a participation in the mission of God in the world. All of life in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships, in our homes. All of life is a participation in God's mission. To be alive is to join with God in what he is doing in the world. Jesus comes to us. Each of us, like the disciples, may be afraid. We may go into our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, maybe even our homes in fear and without joy, without a sense of calling or responsiveness to God. And Jesus comes to each of us and he says to us, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you into your job. Peace, I am sending you. Into your friendships, peace, I am sending you. Into your homes, peace, I am sending you into your neighborhoods, peace, I am sending you there. Every area of our life 
is an opportunity to join with God in his mission in that place. So, in case I haven't been clear, let me give you a little review of where we're going for the next few weeks. In these next four weeks, we're looking at four specific areas, our friendships, our jobs, our homes, in our neighborhoods, and we're going to see how we are called by God to be alive in each of those areas, to live according to the power and the truth of the resurrection. So what does that mean? Well, first it means that we are a people who have died to ourselves and to the world. In order to be raised from the dead, in order to experience the truth and power of the resurrection in our lives, we have to die. And that death is to ourself and to the world. Secondly, we will be a people who are open to God. Living lives in the truth and the power of the resurrection to be alive means that we are open to God, that we live our lives in response to him and to his word. Third, we will be a people of joy. Resurrected life is characterized by joy. Joy in the face of trials, joy in the face of suffering. Our life will be characterized by joy. And fourth, we are a people of mission. The resurrection sends us as people of God into the world to live and to proclaim the truth of the resurrection. To live in the truth and power of the resurrection, to be alive in every area of our life, is to die to ourselves to the world, to be open to God, to be people of joy, to be people of mission. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the resurrection of Christ. Lord, I pray that this truth that we believe in, this hope that we have in you, God, that the power of it, that the reality of it would become a part of our day-to-day lives as we enter into all of these different areas of our life. The truth and power of the resurrection or that it would be a part of our experience. So God, I pray that for us here at Ebenezer, that in these next few weeks, that our minds and our hearts, that our spirits would come alive to the truth of the resurrection in the way that it calls us into these different areas of our life. And we give you thanks for Christ and what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.